you turn to Lord's Day 37, page 890 in the back of your songbooks, the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 37, we're doing a study of the Ten Commandments, God's will for our lives. He saved us to serve him. If we love him, we'll keep his commandments. And this is the way of love. And the Heidelberg Catechism gives us a summary of the Bible's teachings. And this is the summary of what the scripture teaches about You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who takes his name in vain. That's the third commandment, and we're studying that, particularly now about using his name in making a vow, a marriage vow, a profession of faith vow, ordination vow, or swearing an oath to sit on a jury or be a judge or a firefighter, a prime minister. There's so many ways in which The oath opens a door into public life, and that's why it matters, this issue of using the oath. May we swear an oath in God's name if we do it reverently. Yes, when the government demands it or when necessity requires it. In order to maintain and promote truth and trustworthiness for God's glory and our neighbor's good. Such oath-taking is grounded in God's word and was rightly used by the saints in the Old and New Testaments. May we also swear by saints, St. Jude, St. Mary, St. Luke. May we also swear by saints or other created things. No, a legitimate oath is calling upon God as the one who knows my heart to witness to the truth and to punish me if I swear falsely. No created thing is worthy of such honor. And then let's see where Paul swears in 2 Corinthians 1. We'll read 12 through 24 of 2 Corinthians 1, page 1145. If you listen carefully or read along carefully, you'll see two times at least here that he swears. Swears reverently, of course, and in a way that honors the Lord. 11. 45, 2 Corinthians 1, 12 through 24. Second Corinthians 1, verse 12, for our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. For we're not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Because I was sure of this, I want to, or because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no, at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. 
and who has put also on us his seal and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. This is God's word, and we pray that he will bless that and use that in our lives. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the third commandment is about using God's name properly. In his covenant of grace, he's given us his name. That's the greatest gift we can have. You have God's name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Use that name well in faith to call on me for salvation, to pray to me, worship me, to witness about me to your neighbors, to live for me in a way that shows you belong to me. Don't drag my name through the mud. It's a matchless name. And I give my name to you to swear. Not a wrong kind of swearing where we trivialize God's name, but a holy kind of swearing where we use God's name. On special occasions, when we make promises or when we testify in court, use my name properly and you say, why does The catechism spends so much time on the third commandment. Every other commandment gets one Lord's Day. This one gets two and a whole Lord's Day, 36 and 37, a whole one, 37, just to the oath, committed to swearing an oath in God's name. Well, one reason is historical. Because at the time when this was written, at the time of the Reformation in the 1500s, there was a group of radical reformers, the Anabaptists, who quoted Jesus. Do not swear at all. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And they said absolutely no swearing any time in the new covenant for New Testament Christians. Not allowed. Well, when you hold that position, that really cuts you out of public life, doesn't it? What about swearing an oath of allegiance to your country? Citizenship. What about swearing an oath for military service? Or taking the oath of political office as a mayor or an MP or a prime minister? Or a judge or a lawyer or a pharmacist or a firefighter or a doctor? You see, if we're cut off from the oath and it's not allowed, we're really cut out of public life in many ways. So this issue is more important than we realize. We take it for granted. But there's another reason it merits its own attention here in the catechism. The Bible takes a lot of space to talk about swearing an oath. God considers swearing an oath, when done reverently, an honorable and worthy use of his great name. He says that, for example, in Deuteronomy 6, verse 13. Listen, it's the Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and you shall swear by his name. I want you to use my name for swearing oaths. So let's see this afternoon how swearing an oath 
brings honor to God's name when, number one, we have worthy grounds or reasons for it. Number two, when we use it to pursue a worthy goal, worthy grounds, worthy goal, and when we do it to honor a worthy God, only in God's name, not in the name of Mary or Jude, Jude or Luke or by your mother's grave or anything like that. First then, swearing honors God's name when we have worthy grounds for swearing. Is there any reason at all that we should be required or even allowed to make a promise and attach God's name? I will do this, so help me God. That's really what an oath is. Adding God's name to your word. You have a yes or you have a no and you add God's name to it. Saying God is witness that what I'm saying is true and sincere and may he punish me if I'm lying or if I'm being insincere. Whoa. That really adds some octane to our words, doesn't it? Is there any reason at all we should be required to do this or even allowed? Where under oath we say, I promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and not, nothing but the truth, so help me God. Or put our hands on the Bible. In Parliament, the Prime Minister and Cabinet Ministers place their hands on the Bible and promise to serve their country faithfully, so help me God. When you take an oath of citizenship, you invoke the name of God as witness to your promise. Is that right? Is there any good reason to do that? Is this an honorable use of the holy, matchless name of God our Savior? We say yes, one, when the government demands it. Yes, two, when necessity requires it. Yes, three, because the Bible uses it. Three reasons, reasons summarized for us in the catechism and true to scripture. One, when the government demands that Jesus was placed under oath by Caiaphas, the high priest, in a court of the Jews. I adjure you by the living God, if you're the Christ, tell us. If you're the Christ, the Son of God, tell us. And Jesus answered him. And often, when he was in court, he would be silent. All right? But when the civil judge and ruler put him under oath, he would speak. He would answer. So when the government demands that we speak under oath, then it is legitimate in a court of law, an oath of citizenship, when entering political office, when becoming a judge or a lawyer, also in the medical field, as a firefighter, in many areas of civil life, the government demands an oath because we are taking upon ourselves a very serious task in the kingdom. And the words that we make are very serious at that moment. All our words are supposed to be true. But because we live in a world of lies and falsehood, God gives us the oath as special place, sacred ground. Stand on that ground when you make this promise. And if you are lying under oath, there are special punishments going to be awarded to you. 
right? It's a way for a piece of sincerity and honesty and civility to be maintained in our society when the government demands it. Secondly, when necessity requires it. That's another ground. We may also use the oath when we use it reverently. A situation of urgency or emergency. Paul did that often. And we see him doing that twice here in 2 Corinthians 1. His credibility as an apostle of Jesus Christ is under attack. There is a minority elite in the church at Corinth that wants to introduce a false gospel, wants to hoodwink the congregation and make it captive to empty philosophy. And so they have a slander campaign going against the Apostle Paul. You can't trust him. Don't listen to what he's saying. Reject his message. And so it's a crisis moment at the church at Corinth for him to swear an oath, to testify to his credibility as a man and as an apostle of Jesus Christ. They want to say he's not trustworthy. So what's their beef with Paul? We read that in 2 Corinthians 1. They found a little reason to accuse him. Took a little piece out of his life. Blew that up and said, you see, he's a yes and no man. Well, what was that little piece in life? Well, here's what happened. We read that. Paul is heading north toward Macedonia. And he tells them ahead of time, my plan is to stop by and see you guys on the way north. Go to Macedonia, do mission work. Come back home. I'm going to stop again at a second time so that you can send me on my way officially with the offering for famine relief and go to Judea. So I'm going to stop twice. That's my plan. But the first visit went so badly because of all the problems in the Corinthian church that he couldn't possibly stop by a second time to be officially sent by them to Judea with the offering. He had to delay it. He had to change his plans. And he did that to spare them. Well, his opponents at Corinth were all over this. He doesn't keep his promises. He's a yes and no guy. He speaks out of both sides of his mouth. And they say to the congregation, can you really trust the message a guy like that is bringing? He's a shyster. He's a fraud. And Paul, led by the Holy Spirit, knew that there was a major crisis brewing. The gospel was at stake. The safety of the congregation was at stake. And so he used the oath twice. He swore in the name of God that my motives in changing my plan were not to preserve myself, were not because I'm a yes-no guy and because I'm selfish, but because I wanted to do this for the gospel and to spare you. So he says in 1 verse 18, as surely as God is faithful, that's oath language. By the faithfulness of God, our word to you has not been yes and no. And then again, verse 23, but I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. 
There are times when even though the government doesn't demand it, necessity requires an oath for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the honor of Christ, for the sake of the safety of the church of Jesus Christ. And if you face accusations and there are no witnesses, maybe a board or a consistory or you on your own might decide that you must swear an oath. Or the church could decide that when brothers and sisters make a profession of faith, they must make their vows in the presence of God. Yes, we we have oath events when we have public profession of faith. Or the church might decide that when pastors, elders, and deacons are ordained, They must make their vows to serve the Lord well in the presence of God. Yes, we use oath language with ordination. The church has decided that's necessary and faithful to God. When a man and woman marry, that's an occasion so solemn and important that they make their vows in the presence of God. We we swear an oath when we marry. So there are good grounds, good reasons to swear an oath that honors God in Christ, who's the truth and true and faithful witness. What would dishonor God is if we start throwing around oaths for trivial matters when it's not required or necessary. I swear that I didn't make that mess in the kitchen. Oh, this has got to be serious business. I swear to God that I didn't scratch the paint in your car. What sort of car is that? I didn't break the door handle. Cross my heart, hope to die. Cross, Jesus. That's the idea of cross my heart. You're really calling on the name of Jesus for that? Government demands it. Necessity requires it. We see it being used in the Bible, but we ought not to trivialize God's name. We ought not to swear or use oath language for silly little incidents or concerns or worries in our lives. That's not a reason to haul out the name of God. Another way of trivial swearing is just using God's name as an expression of surprise or an expletive or as a form of laughter. Our television and social media culture are saturated with taking God's name in vain, using the name of God or Jesus or damn, which is a short form for God damn. We have a way of using God's name for everything except for prayer, prayer and praise and honoring the one true God. Brothers and sisters, don't allow that profanity of our culture to enter into our language as believers and use the name of God in an empty way. Don't take it in vain. Vain means empty or as a zero, as a nothing. And when you avoid profanity and only use God's name reverently, People will immediately see the difference and they'll know that you take God seriously. Worthy grounds for swearing. When the government requires it, necessity demands it. And the Bible, it's often used by the saints. 
we see that secondly. Worthy goal. It's using a worthy goal. So Abraham swore an oath to Abimelech. Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac in an oath with Laban. David swore that he would put Solomon on the throne. Jesus swore under oath at his trial that he's the son of God. Paul swore several times besides the two instances in 2 Corinthians 1. How does this truly honor God? And our catechism summarizes it well. It honors God when we swear an oath to maintain, look at 101, maintain and promote truth and trustworthiness for God's glory and our neighbor's good. To maintain and promote truth and trustworthiness for God's glory and our neighbor's good. Brothers and sisters, we live in a world of lies where we cover up, we deceive, we obfuscate, we talk out of both sides of our mouth. Our talk is cheap and we don't often mean what we say and easily go back on our word. And God didn't create us that way. But we took the bait. We swallowed Satan's poison, Satan the father of lies, and we've become liars And now God saved us, God the truth, saved us by his son to be a people of truth in a lying world. And that must be our goal, like Paul's goal in 2 Corinthians 1. We will swear an oath for the glory of God and our neighbor's good to promote truth and trustworthiness. It's to honor the name of Christ. You look again with me at 2 Corinthians 1. There's some really important words there of why Paul swears. What his goal is. He's saying this. I represent a God who's faithful and he's always true to his word. I represent a God who's not a yes and no God. I represent a God who doesn't make promises and break them. He doesn't say things and then not follow through when there's a problem. Look at verses 18 through 20 with me again. 18 through 20 of 2 Corinthians 1. As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That's why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. So, Paul's saying, did God promise to send Jesus into the world to save us from our sins? Yes. Did God keep that promise? Yes. Does he continue to give us everything that he promised in Christ? Yes. Will he keep every promise that he has ever made? Yes. Yes. In Christ, God's promises are always yes. And in Christ, you can always say amen to God because he keeps his promises. That's what he says to the Corinthians. You uttered your amen to that message, to that God, to that Christ. Now I represent him, and that's the message I proclaim. I represent a, not a yes and no God, but a God who's always yes in Christ. That's who I am. I hang on to that name of the God who is yes. Not yes and no, not talking out of both sides of his mouth. And I've always been persistent and consistent in proclaiming that God to you. 
My credibility stands on who he is. I'm not a yes and no guy. It was to spare you that I had to change my plans, led by the Holy Spirit. Paul's oath clearly and boldly and unashamedly lifts up the name of Christ and at the same time promises the health of the Corinthians church or promotes the health of the Corinthian church. It's for God's glory and his neighbor's good. Members who are sorely tempted to reject Christ's true apostle and follow the false apostles and take a different route to the false gospel. And brothers and sisters, that must be our goal in court and in everywhere else. I represent a God of truth and faithfulness. I represent a Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life. And my desire and goal in taking this Hippocratic oath as a doctor and this oath of office as prime minister or judge and this vow in my profession of faith and taking this marriage vow and This vow as an office bearer in the church is to testify to the name of Christ and glorify him and serve my neighbor's good. It must never be to promote myself or save my own skin, but to recognize this as a serious moment and I will honor the name of my God in it. You know, when you swear in the name of God as a Christian, you're really preaching the gospel. God is trustworthy. My God. And you might not know why you're swearing in his name as a public person who's not a Christian. But I know why I'm swearing in God's name. He has kept his promise and he has sent his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ has been faithful to me, rescuing me from my sin and misery. Making me righteous in the sight of God. And now holding on to me day by day. He never lets go of me. This is my God. And I want to honor him in this oath that I'm swearing. This marriage vow that I'm taking. I want to show him off. And I want to tell you this is a God worthy of your trust. That's what we're doing. Christ Jesus is the real substance in our vows. And so when we hear those words, so help me God, or God is my witness, or lay our hands on the Bible, we're saying God is a faithful Savior, always trustworthy, always keep his word. You can depend on him. You can trust his promises. Believe in him and you'll never be put to shame. You see, the oath is is a window to what a great and faithful God we have. And what an honor to represent him. Again, I will not deny the oath has a place in our society, even when non-Christians swear to tell the truth in court. But as Christians, we know this God personally. So we have a very unique calling and a very unique way to honor him when we use the oath. Because we know this God who has said yes to us in Christ, and we have given our amen to him. Thirdly, we must swear to God. Swear only in God's name. We have a worthy God. And this is where the church has often abused the oath in history because 
An oath in God's name is such a high-octane statement. 102 says a legitimate oath is calling upon God as the one who knows my heart to witness to the truth and punish me if I swear falsely. Let's say I'm not sincere. Or if I tell a lie. Maybe I want to downgrade the oath a bit so I still have a bit of an oath but it's in a lower name than God's name and then I maybe can get out of it with, without too dire of a consequence. And so in, in Jesus' day, the Jewish people invented all kinds of lower grade oaths with lower grade punishments if you broke your contracts or your promises. So you could swear by created things lower than God. You could swear by the temple or the gold on the temple or by the altar or by your hair or by your mother or by your father. And that's the context that both Jesus and James are saying, don't swear at all, listen, either by heaven for it is God's throne or by earth for it is his footstool or by Jerusalem for it is the city of the great king by your head, for you cannot make one hair black or white. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Don't swear at all. Context, if you're going to swear in something less than God's name, then don't swear at all. He's not saying don't swear absolutely at all, but don't use any of those lower grade oaths that are made in the name of the Virgin Mary or St. Luke, or by your mother's grave. As we say in 102, for no created thing is worthy of such honor. In other words, don't use the oath as a way to hedge and break your vow, but as a way to lift up the name of your God, who's witness to what you're saying and can punish you if you swear falsely. Because only he is worthy of that kind of honor. Mary isn't worthy of that honor. Luke isn't nor your St. Bernard, nor your mother's grave, nor anything else in all creation. For only God knows your heart, and only God is absolutely true and faithful and reliable, and only his word never fails. Let's give him all the glory in our swearing. It's all so good for this reason, and beautiful to swear in the name of God, Only God can forgive you if you swear falsely and take his name in vain. This God, Jesus Christ, who's God's yes to all his promises, remember, as we said last week, he went to the cross for what? Blasphemy. He never blasphemed. He never took God's name in vain. We did. But he went to the cross. He was condemned to death for blasphemy in a Jewish court. He wore our blasphemy. And we can take all the ways in which we have not used God's name properly in our oath. Have you always kept your marriage vow perfectly? Were you totally sincere in your profession of faith vow? Maybe you were. Have you always lived up to it perfectly? 
What about your vow as an elder or deacon or pastor? Have you lived up fully to the task the good shepherd has given to you? And what about your vow as mayor or juror or judge or firefighter or doctor or prime minister? In all these areas of life we sin. We call on the name of a God who went to the cross for Peter. Who denied Jesus three times under oath. Talk about swearing falsely. So that Peter could be forgiven. And we can be forgiven our insincerity and are not fulfilling our our promises perfectly. And we can go to that name today. Lord, I've made an oath. I have not kept it in every way as I should. And I call upon your name now to forgive me. And to strengthen in your spirit to go wholeheartedly in the way of keeping the promises that I've made to witness to the true and faithful God who always keeps his word. Let's honor the Lord in the use of the oath, calling on him for strength to keep it, for forgiveness when we fail, and for the filling of the Spirit to go on with new strength in serving him. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, what a precious possession to have your name. And what an amazing gift to be able to use that name to make special promises in a world of deception and broken promises and lies. What a platform for us to stand on. Help us to use that well and again to call upon your name when we fail in that. Help us to keep our vows and help us not to be afraid to make them, make vows in the name of the Lord because you are a great and worthy God and we want to lift up your name in this way too. Lord, receive our thanksgiving in Jesus' name, amen.